Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have a very special guest today. His name is Perry Marshall. I've known Perry for probably 10 years. Uh, I was his customer for a long time. I still am. Uh, he's uh, essentially a marketing guru and direct marketing. I read a number of his books, um, learned a tremendous amount from him about all kinds of subjects, marketing and otherwise. And, and I've watched Perry um, learn about evolutionary biology, uh, put a book out on it called Evolution 2.0. And I've actually uh, read this book with my kids as part of their homeschool curriculum. So I thought it was so important and uh, it's changed my way of looking at the world. It's changed my thoughts about biology. It was a huge inspiration for me to start this podcast and to interview literally uh, 2,500 plus researchers and clinicians and scientists, you know, all over the place. Um, that's how important Perry's ideas are. And that's how important uh, Perry has been to the scientific community, I think, and, and also to the marketing community. Um, Perry is going to be putting on a conference called uh, Cancer and Evolution. The website is cancerandevolution.org. Uh, it's going to be coming out October 14th to the 16th, 2020. So we got about a month left. Um, he calls it the Cancer and Evolution Symposium. Uh, the, the first, I'll just read you the first sentence that uh, I think will capture the meaning of it. It's, when we catch cancer early, we knock it out three-fourths of the time. But despite having spent $250 billion on cures, Stage three and four patients' chances of survival are no better than 1930. And that's terrible. Um, I, 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 probably everyone listening, if not themselves, uh, someone they know has, has dealt with cancer, died from it, had chemo, radiation, surgery, et cetera. It's a huge topic. Uh, it's a vital topic. I'm very glad that Perry is going to be addressing it with his conference. And um, anyway, after that, uh, welcome, Perry. Thanks for coming. Oh, thanks for having me on your podcast, and thank you for deciding to give the Cancer and Evolution Symposium some airtime. Uh, I'm really excited about this. So, yeah, let's talk about what we're doing and why why would we want to do such a thing? Yeah, I can uh, I can say first from from personal experience, I've had thyroid cancer myself. Luckily, it's mm. probably one of the best ones you can get if you can even say such a thing. You know, it's like the the Dos Equis commercial where the guy says, you know. If he, as if he would say, if I don't get cancer often, but if I did, I would have thyroid cancer. That's my bad joke. Um, but, but uh, you know, a, a lot of people have, uh, again, had terrible cancers that have killed family members. I've had family members I've lost to cancer. And uh, I, I speak to a lot of scientists and I hear just the same stuff over and over. The, the gold standard is radiation, chemotherapy, surgery. And it just doesn't seem like it's working. You know, I, I see stats that show uh, almost half of all men and uh, 33% of all women will get cancer sometime in their lifetimes. And that's insane. So something needs to be done. And uh, what's, what's been your experience with cancer, Perry? Why are you interested in this topic? Well, my, my dad died of cancer when I was 17. Um, and I could recount the whole entire roller coaster of the first time he got it. And the second time he got it and, you know, the, the crying and the, 
you know, oh, he's going to get better and oh no, the numbers are worse. And, you know, lots of us have been through that. My, my mom had a bout with, with colon cancer. Um, she died of something else, but, but both, obviously both of my parents had it. One of my uh, dearest all time best mentors died of pancreatic cancer in 2011. Uh, he was a very dear friend of mine and, you know, and uh, like, well, in April, you know, one of my very good friends, uh, his wife, Laura, she died of cancer. And like, she was a picture of perfect health and she was a fitness instructor and, you know, and it, it, it went downhill very fast. And, and so um, in, in my book, Evolution 2.0, uh, I spent, there's maybe a couple of paragraphs where I explain that cancer is evolution running out of control. And that if we understand evolution, we'll actually understand cancer too. And I don't spend very much time on that in the book at all. But this circled back around uh, over the last year. And I crossed paths with several people. Uh, one of them was Azra Raza, who you've interviewed, Rich. Mm -hmm. um, she's extraordinary. Uh, she's an oncologist at Columbia in New York. And she wrote a book called The First Cell. And uh, her book... Uh, the, the, the title refers to the first cancer cell that appears in your body. And well, so what do we do about that? Uh, but her book is a very honest appraisal of the state of the cancer business, which is that we spent $250 billion and we're not any closer to a cure now than we were 40 years ago. And you're no better off now in stage three or four than you were a century ago. And so this, this is a problem. And uh, so I got um, contacted uh, last year by several gentlemen. Uh, Frank Laukin, who's the CEO of Bruker Corporation. James Shapiro, who is a geneticist at the University of Chicago, who also, uh, Rich, you've, you've interviewed him before. Yeah, very um, And a gentleman named Henry Hang. Um, and now, evolutionary biology has been in a state of tremendous flux especially in the last five years, because the old school Darwinism is basically on its way out. Uh, and old school Darwinism is the idea that evolution is a passive, gradual process that is mostly driven by natural selection. I have always believed that to be wrong. Um, James Shapiro has always believed that to be wrong. Um, and um, Henry Hing uh, figured out purely on the basis of cancer research that that couldn't possibly be right. The, the truth about evolution is that it is actively engineered by the organisms and by the cells. And when you take a bacteria or a mouse or a person and you put them in a tough situation, uh, their bodies will engineer a response and they can pass that engineering down to their offspring. Um, th this idea was considered laughable until about 15 or 20 years ago when it started to become more and more apparent that there are multiple mechanisms by which this happened. Well, so Henry Hang, Henry Hang um, started rethinking uh, evolution entirely based on his cancer research and by studying tumors because he found what would happen is that uh, you nuke tumors with radiation and you kill 98% of the tumor but the 2% that, that is left 
it doesn't just mutate. It doesn't just accidentally mutate. It doesn't just generate a bunch of copying errors or anything like that. It develops massive wholesale restructuring of its own DNA, and it rebuilds its physiology. And it not only does, it doesn't just do this once, it'll do a thousand different versions of this, generating a thousand different species of tumor in the space of a a month or two. And now you have a thousand species of cancer that you're fighting instead of one. And at that point, you're screwed. And yeah, it's a, uh, it, I guess one example that comes to mind is I imagine being attacked by an army. And mm-hmm. as I shoot some of the army members, more of them start attacking, but some have, you know, armor, some have swords, some have axes, some have halberds, some have guns. And the, the nature of the army that's attacking me continues to become more and more heterogeneous. And it's, it's one army attacking, but there's so many different types of, uh, of attack and invader that, you know, how could you ever defend against them all? Exactly. It's, it's guerrilla warfare. And, and think about it. When, when you attack an army, um, the worst assumption that you could make is those guys are stupid. And, you know, that guy putting on his helmet or that guy getting out a machine gun, that just happened by accident. Or, you know, (laughs) if, if, if a terrorist bombs a mall down the street from you, it would be a really big mistake for you to go, oh, you know, I just think that was a random accident. Mm, right, yeah, that's crazy. Okay, and, and this, this is the kind of thinking that has dominated evolutionary biology. And, it, and every, everything in evolutionary biology in some way affects people's thinking about cancer and disease and, and, and everything else. And so uh, for basically 100 years, evolutionary biology vehemently denied that there was anything purposeful or intentional going on when organisms evolve. When, in fact, cancer is ultra-high-speed evolution right inside your own body. It obeys all the principles of evolution that, uh, that control normal evolution, except it's like the dark twin. It's like the dark evil. You know, like in cartoon books, you got like the good guy and the this evil brother, the devil guy, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, you, you get that, like, it's like Darth Vader, like Darth Vader once upon a time was a good guy, but he went over to the dark side. That's kind of what cancer is, but it's like, okay, so you have the same lightsabers, the same spaceships, the same lasers, the same weapons, only now they're just trying to hog all the resources and take everything out. And, and so, so Shapiro, Laukin, Hang. They said, we, you you got two evolution guys and one cancer guy, and they said, we need to get all of the most advanced evolution people and all the most advanced cancer people, and we need to put them in a room. And so that's what the Cancer and Evolution Symposium. Nice. So we're not going to hear about, uh, you know, for attendees, they're not going to hear about the latest surgical techniques or the newest uh, chemotherapy protocols or you know, even more tightly focused radiation, but instead they're going to hear more of why is there cancer? Uh, how does it evolve? Why does it evolve? What are treatments that would actually affect it with this new understanding of it? Yeah, it's, it's almost like investigating the psychology of Viet Cong warriors, okay? And psychology might be like a, a little bit of an excessive metaphor, but you know, what are the processes that are used 
uh, by cells when they are confronted with threats. Because like one, one of the things that uh, Henry Hang has studied is called, it's called karyotyping. And uh, karyotyping is the global structure of chromosomes. So everybody hears about genes and everybody probably has at least some vague idea what DNA is. Well, if you take really long strands of, of DNA um, in large quantities, they are coiled into structures called chromosomes and um, and then human beings have 46 chromosomes. And so th- these are like very large almost like silos of DNA. And um, what, what cancer and tumor cells do is they start, uh, it's almost like breaking apart the silos and moving. So like you, you drive down the highway and you see those big farming silos. It's almost like imagine taking a bunch of those silos, cutting them into sections, and then moving the sections around. Okay, so let's, let's take section B from silo 2, and we're going to move. We're going to put it in section C of silo nineteen. This this is let, what, let me uh, let me give you a quick example. There's a member of my family that had their uh, genes looked at, and they have a transposition exactly like what you're talking about. You know, this person. I'm not going to say who, but this person uh, appears totally normal. They're middle aged. They don't seem to have any problems. But uh, I believe it's like chromosome four and eighteen have parts that are switched. And this was identified, yes. and yet they're they're alive, they're phenotypically normal, and but there is this switching. Right, right. And so genetics, and especially cancer genetics, has traditionally focused on genes and very granular, so like little tiny stretches of code. Karyotype analysis looks at like gigantic blocks of code, and re- so it it is possible to do genome sequencing. Um, of cancer cells and not real and, and see a bunch of minute changes and not even recognize that massive global changes uh, have just occurred. And so um, this caused Hing to realize that the entire version of evolution that he'd been taught in school couldn't possibly be right. And he went down a rabbit hole and he came up with other models and then later found out that those same models were already in use by uh, people who advocated an extended synthesis of evolution. Uh, basically, people that said, no, we, we really need a different understanding of evolution. And so, um, and so Shapiro came to the conclusion that if you want to understand evolution, you can actually understand it faster by studying cancer than you can by studying fossils and, and all those traditional evolution things. Um, and so... We have got uh, together some of the sharpest people in science. Uh, we have Bob Weinberg from MIT. Um, we, have, uh, we have people from Oxford, Harvard, Yale, Johns Hopkins. Um, and there's, I would describe them as blue chip renegade. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. They are parts of the best institutions in the world, but they disagree with a lot of the standard theories and models of how cancer works. And they, they recognize we're never going to solve it on the existing set of us. Yeah, what are, what are some of the, uh, you know, I, I, 
I don't know if you know everything, but uh, the people that are going to be speaking at the conference, any juicy tidbits that really stick out at you that will be enticing for listeners to hear about that'll make them want to come? Um, yes, yes. So right now, um, we are uh, we are making two-week advances in patient longevity, and those advances are being heralded as game changers and companies are making a billion dollars, okay? And, and, and essentially all they're accomplishing is somebody suffers for two weeks longer, all right? Uh, Azra Raza talks about that extensively. In fact, I asked her, I said, so what was the reception when you wrote a book uh, basically uh, saying, you know, with your entire industry that the emperor has no clothes? And she said, well, to my astonishment, I didn't get any blowback because they all knew it was true. And they all knew that they couldn't contradict me without looking stupid. Um, now, uh, one, of the, one of the interesting people that's speaking is Paul Davies. Uh, Paul is a physicist from Arizona State University. And maybe a decade ago, he gets a call from somebody at some cancer institute. And they go, uh, Mr. Davies, we would like to hire you to do some cancer research. And he goes, I don't know anything about cancer. And she says, well, that's why we want to hire you. Um, you're a <laughs> physicist. Physicists are very good at getting to the bottom of problems. Uh, you're an above average physicist. We would like you to approach the situation with fresh eyes. And so Paul started working on this with some other people at ASU, including Kimberly Bussey. And they started studying um, the patterns in cancer mutations. And one of the things they discovered was there is a genetic pattern that is almost identical to something that you find in bacteria that are about 600 million years old. And he, they came to the conclusion that cancer is a very, very ancient built-in response to stress. Um, and it's, it's kind of like a cellular defense mechanism. And it it sort of, it's, think of it like rebooting a computer. You know how if a Windows computer shuts down uh, unexpectedly and then you start it back up, sometimes it'll, it'll start up in Windows safe mode? Right. Yep. Okay. Um, he said by analogy, it's sort of like the cell goes into Windows safe mode and then it starts proliferating. Um, I guess and it becomes somewhat stem cell-like. And that allows it to then choose a path and go forward. Um, that that might be uh, about right. And 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 so he concluded that um, that it is a it is a natural biological response, and that we need to solve this at its roots rather than trying to go to war against it um, after the fact. Um, uh, it's, um, it's almost inevitable that cells will evolve resistance to cancer therapies. Um, and so whatever you do to them, typically they'll work really well for a little while, and then they'll stop working entirely because chemotherapy is stupid, but cancer is smart. Right. Chemotherapy is not a living thing. It's just a, a small molecule drug that can only right. do what it can do and cells are alive and um, can harness all kinds of abilities to adapt and evade. So yeah, makes sense. That's right. Now, Frank Laukin, he's one of the speakers and 
he is uh, going to be talking about the feedback mechanisms. Now, I'm an engineer, and engineers totally get feedback. So, like, feedback would be your thermostat in your house or your cruise control in your car or uh, the system that gets a guided missile to where it wants to go or the autopilot on an airplane. Um, and um, there, there are thousands of little feedback loops in the body and in evolution that determine what happens. And cancer is feedback driven. And so we, we have to understand the active feedback loops. And this is one of the reasons why the, the traditional Darwinian model has failed because the traditional mo Darwinian model literally said that the only feedback loop is death. Um, and that, you know, you, you get all these mutations and death, survival of the fittest just sorts them out. Well, it turns out that's not true. It turns out the cells are making course corrections all the time. And they're taking in all kinds of different information. And so there are fundamental information processes that we do not understand. And so this is why this is a very interdisciplinary conference. So, you know, I'm an electrical engineer and I'm speaking and uh, Shapiro is a bacterial geneticist and we have a bunch of oncologists. Um, and uh, Frank Laukin um, has a background in spectroscopy and Paul Davies is a physicist, and I can go down the list of speakers, and I, I can't think of too many conferences that are about one topic that had this many different um, sciences so siloed, and it's so hyper-specialized um, that um, everybody really has to take everybody else's word for it when they get outside their field. Well, somebody has to start asking, well, you know, did the, pro did the protein folding people actually get this right? And did the uh, gene transposition people actually get this right? And did the geneticists actually get this right? Did the biologists get this right? And so you have to cross disciplines in order to do this. One of our speakers is Michael Levin, and he has a very strong, strong background in biology and genetics and computer science. He has degrees in computer science. Um, Michael's done incredibly fascinating experience, uh, experiments on frogs and tadpoles where he subjects some of their cells to bioelectric fields. He, he is able to induce those cells to become cancerous, and then he changes the electric fields and gets them to revert back to standard cells. Wow. Okay, now th this is a big deal. This is yeah. huge. Yeah, it is. Okay, so... So don't you think that if he can do this with frogs and tadpoles, that we can probably do it with something else? And the first time I ever talked to him, I said, um, Michael, you haven't said anything about this in this video that you watched, but would it be fair to say that you do not agree with the standard model of evolutionary theory? He says, uh, yes, that would be, yes, that would be a fair statement. Um, I would agree with that. Um, well, because... The, the tadpole cells don't do what the standard models say that they would do. Um, there's, there's a speaker we have na named Jin Sung Liu, who's from MD Anderson, and he has a fascinating presentation he's going to be giving about a three-way parallel between embryonic cells, evolution, and cancer cells. Um, that that there, there is a EVO-DEVO, which stands for Evolutionary Development, there's an evo-devo process that the two have in common, but one is the dark twin of the other. Um, so 
this is going to be really fascinating. I don't think I said this is going to be on Zoom. So you don't have to get on a plane and go to Boston. In fact, there was going to be a Boston meeting, but because of COVID, there's not. It's uh, October 14, 15, and 16. It's on Zoom. It's three mornings in a row. Uh, the, the following week, we are going to have live Q&A sessions with a bunch of our speakers, and people oh, nice. can choose, choose which ones of those that they want to attend. Uh, we're going to put it all on video. Um, and uh, it's, uh, the tickets are $25.95 and $295, depending on whether like students and retired people are $25 and most people are, are, are 95. And, and uh, if you're from an institution, then your, your organization can join for 295. So it's very affordable. It's at cancerevolution.org. And we're just really excited to be doing this. I think this is going to be a groundbreaking uh, event. Uh, George Church, a leading geneticist at Harvard, is going to talk about some absolutely fascinating experiments that he's done. Um, uh, he's, he's a rock star. He was on 60 Minutes about 10 months ago. Uh, they had a whole segment on his lab. So um, really excited to be doing that. Who, who should come? How sophisticated and how knowledgeable do they have to be in order to get something out of the conference? Okay, so this is presented at a, like I would say you need decent familiarity with medicine or biology or a strong background in basic science um, in order for this to make sense. So I would not say this is just for any lay person, okay? But if you are, if you are familiar with the terminology in any of these disciplines, if you have any background in biology or medicine or evolution, it will make sense. And I want to remind you that in order for all of these researchers to talk to each other, because they are all in different fields, they do have to some degree speak in plain English. Okay, so this is not going to be saturated with the level of jargon that you would get at a standard cancer conference. Why? because not everybody's an oncologist. So does that kind of give you a, a sense? Yeah, that, that's exactly the level I try to dial in this podcast to. Like people ask me, who's your audience? So I've, I've realized it's curious amateurs that, again, have a familiarity with science, but they may not be in a particular field of the person I'm talking to, and they're willing to learn about another field. And then sometimes it is professionals in that field, and I find even professionals in the given fields, uh, you know, I'll ask, five professionals one question and they'll say no and then a sixth one goes oh yeah oh yeah we know about that yeah <laughs> so, right you know, there's, there's a big enough audience that needs to learn about this stuff for sure right so it's it's technical but it's not ridiculously technical most of the presentations are 15 to 25 minutes long in fact the majority are 15 so you know i think we've all heard the story of you know winston churchill says if I'm giving an hour speech, I got to prepare for an hour. And if I'm giving a five minute speech, I got to prepare for a week. You know, uh, it's, it's one of those things. So the information will be very condensed. It will be very trimmed down to the bare essentials and then people can dive deep. So if there's one presenter and you're really geeked out about what they're saying, you'll probably be able to get on a zoom meeting a week or two later with them and a group of people and do live Q and a. Yeah, that, that's excellent. The two things I've noticed, you know, in my own journey is one, it does take a bit of work. And at first you'll understand 10% or 30%. And as you go, you'll understand 60, 70, 80%. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. Um, but these aren't concepts you could only see once and then, oh, you got them. So you have to be mm-hmm. exposed multiple times. So all reasons mm-hmm. to attend. Yeah, well, look, I can, I can totally relate to being a little intimidated by this. I mean, 15 years ago, I went down to the rabbit hole in evolutionary biology. And, you know, I'm an electrical engineer. And all of a sudden, I'm reading papers on uh, biochemistry and molecular biology and stuff like that. And I probably understood 5 or 10% of what I was reading, but I could follow the logic of their argument, even if I didn't always know what they were talking about. I could at least see the thinking process, right? And then I started to understand the terminology, and then it went from 10% to 20% to 30%. And, you know, I think this is the kind of conferences, it's going to be valuable, even if you only understand a third of what they're talking about. If, if, If there's a specific thing you need to know, then it, it's worth tuning in. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm saying this because I honestly believe it. I think your book, Evolution 2.0, would be a good primer for people if they at least uh, read a few of the chapters before they attend. That would help. Um, yeah, yeah. And then just talking about your journey, like you know, for instance, I've I've gone through the book about five times myself, a few, and then with my kids, a few more. And it took that many times to really understand it more and get into it. And and you wrote it a very easy to understand level, but I just got a lot more out of it each time I went through it. So I encourage whoever's listening, don't be afraid of coming. Come, you will (laughs) get something out of it. And this could be the start of a whole new path in your life or in your thinking and whatever, if you're a researcher or a clinician, this may change how you, you know, run your clinical practice or it may change how you do your research. But uh, I think it's an important thing. You know, I, I see a lot of researchers because they've mentally siloed themselves I see them as probably going on dead ends, you know, a 10-year mm-hmm. dead end in their research, or at the very least, it being hindered because it just simply won't consider other things about what they do. And I think it's a big mistake. Uh, well, I, I agree. And, and uh, we need more interdisciplinary conversations. And uh, we need people that are going to ask, quote unquote, stupid questions. Like, I don't think there is a stupid question. Um, so... Um, I, I'm just, I'm really excited to be part of this. And uh, I think it's going to be a seminal conference. I think major connections and discoveries are going to come out of this. Um, you know, I, I was talking to somebody the other day and, um, you know, chemotherapy is a nice $60,000 hit of crack cocaine for any hospital, uh, financially speaking. Okay. and um, you know, what if, what if as a result of, of this research that is going on, what if somebody comes up with a $6,000 solution that works two or three times better? Um, yeah. Well, yeah. then, then you're going to have a sales and marketing problem, which is how do you replace a $6,000, $60,000 product with a $6,000 product? and not go broke. Well, that's a whole business analysis. But uh, I think that's one of the challenges. I mean, we're not really going to be discussing this at, at the conference. But I think this is one of the challenges that does exist. It's an economic challenge, because there's a system that's hooked on the drug of cancer treatment. And there are better, cheaper ways to get this done. If you look at antibiotics, microbial resistance, you know, I've heard directly from many researchers there's no money in antibiotics because if you find one that works, the person takes it for seven to 10 days, they're okay. That's, that's not as good as them having to take a drug for life. So <laughs> there's not enough money in it. And it, it yeah. costs you a billion 
to get through a clinical trial or two billion, uh, and you're you're barely going to make the money back. Big Pharma says, well, no good. We got to go for stuff that people will take forever. So That's it's right. really money. Um, money has warped science unbelievably, and I think a lot of people don't see it. It's, it's very sad. Yeah. So um, I, I I think um, well one one of the things I know about numerous p- individuals who are helping put this together is they are not in this business for the money. Um, They are interested in the science. They're interested in the humanity. They are interested in the struggles that people go through. I'll I'll just finish up with a story. Um, uh, Azra Raza, um, uh, people ask her, well, why did you write your book? And she says, she says, losing my own husband to cancer wasn't enough to get me to write the book. She says, what happened was my, my daughter's best friend, um, like went to the ER with some, I think he collapsed or something. And they found out he had inoperable, highly aggressive brain cancer. And they, they thought they were going to do surgery on him and they figured out there was nothing they could do. And they just closed him back up and, and he woke up and they told him he had this horrible, aggressive cancer. And he says, Oh, that's okay. Uh, my friend's mom will solve it. She's an oncologist. And you know, he went to her and uh, 16 months later, he was dead. She couldn't help him. And she just threw up her hands. She's like, you know, my industry is in a pathetic state. I have to call attention to the fact that we are in a dead end here. We have to do something about this. And so uh, she's one of our speakers and um, uh, I've become friends with her in the last year. She's a delightful human being. And uh, um, and, and I, I think you're going to really enjoy hearing from Azra. So. Uh, cancerevolution.org is the sign-up page, and uh, sign up and, and join us on the journey. Yeah, thank you for all you do, Perry. I really appreciate uh, you coming on this podcast. Uh, Rich, thank you for devoting an episode of your podcast to our conference. I, I'm, I'm flattered that you're doing that, and uh, look forward to seeing you on Zoom uh, when the conference comes. Excellent. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.